Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Welcome back. This is Robert J. Morgan, and this is my Bible teaching podcast. We are going through the study of the Acts of the Apostles, but I'm also still on the staff of the Donaldson Fellowship, the church in our community of Donaldson, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, where I've been for 43 years. And our studies right now in the pulpit are from Daniel and chapter 9, is what I've been dealing with recently. So today I'd like to take a break from the book of Acts to look with you at this incredible ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, the first part of the chapter. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, do you know that God is going to work everything together for good in your life? What if you really knew that? What if you really believed that? Would it make a difference in your attitude day by day? Well, I have a book called God Works All Things Together for Your Good, Living in the Promise of Romans 8.28. In this particular book, I take this verse, this famous Bible verse that says, For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and for those who are called according to his purpose. I look at it within the context of the entire epistle to the Romans, and I illustrate how this verse works in our lives, and I think you would enjoy it. Also, for your small group, we have churches using this for small group studies all over the country and all over the world, really. We have a study guide that goes along with it in video curriculum. So you can check it out wherever you get your books or from my website, robertjmorgan.com. The title, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. Now, today, let me ask you a question. Who do you think prays the most? Younger adults or older adults? Well, you might think younger adults, and I really don't know those statistics in the United States, but in the United Kingdom, someone recently did a survey, and they were surprised to find that 51% of young adults pray regularly, whereas only 24% of older people pray regularly. It is the younger people who are the most active in developing prayer habits in their lives, and I'm really not surprised at that. Maybe it's because of the church that I attend. It's full of young people, and I know how committed they are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it reminds me of Daniel. And as I said, I'd like to deal with chapter 9 of the book of Daniel today, because this brings us to one of the most intense prayers of the Bible. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 and look at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, I think this was a title for King Cyrus, who was made ruler of the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel... Now, that's the way the chapter begins. And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, then you know how remarkable this man is. He grew up as a young person in the city of Jerusalem under the ministry 
of Jeremiah the prophet. When he was 12 or 13, he would have gone to the temple with his parents for his bar mitzvah. And after that, he was able to fully participate in temple worship, going onto the temple mount with his parents or with his friends, hearing the music and seeing the smoke of the sweet incense wafting into the sky and seeing the sacrifices and joining in with the worshipers. And we know that we were certain that Daniel was a member of a very prominent family because Daniel chapter 1 says that his family was among the nobility. So he probably lived not very far from the temple in an affluent part of town, and he was extremely bright. Even as a teenager, he was a born leader, and we can also surmise that he had godly parents who instilled within him from infancy a love for the Lord and for the Scripture and for prayer. I really think there is no other way to explain his life than the fact that he had a very strong godly upbringing as a child and as a teenager. And when he was about 15, we would estimate that was his age, his nation and city were invaded by the most brutal enemy imaginable, the Babylonians. They overran his affluent section of town. Perhaps they invaded the elite school where Daniel was a student. And I suspect that Daniel and his buddies, three of them in particular, tried to evade the Babylonians, but they were trapped like animals. They were bound and marched or conveyed 600 miles to the city of Babylon. And so far as we know, he never returned back to Jerusalem. What happened to his uh, life and to his friends, it seems to me is similar to what periodically happens. We read about it in the press in northern Nigeria when schools are stormed by Boko Haram and the teenagers are kidnapped and marched off to some kind of horrible confinement or re-education camp. We are horrified at this, and yet that is what happened to Daniel and to his friends, they were enrolled in a state-sponsored re-education program, stripped of their Hebrew names, giving, given names reflecting the titles of the Babylonian gods, and they apparently never saw their families again. But Daniel was a young man, man who knew how to pray. And I feel certain, as I said, that he had parents who, although they never apparently saw him again, they prayed for him night and day, and who knows, perhaps they heard of the way that God blessed him. Who knows, perhaps later on in Babylon, they were reunited, but we have no information about that. At any rate, it was one of the most traumatic things that you can imagine. In his first existential crisis, which we read about in Daniel chapter 2, he and his friends went to the Lord in prayer together, and God gave them a miraculous answer. And in time, God promoted Daniel to a place of high political office and made him a world-renowned statesman, one of the greatest leaders in history. And so this is Daniel, and it is from his book of Daniel, which tells the record of his life and of his experiences and of the prophecies that God gave him. It is from this book that we learn there are two types of prayer. First, there is regular prayer, and we see this in Daniel chapter 6. It says in Daniel 6 and verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. 
Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. In other words, this was his lifelong habit. He had regular times of prayer built into his daily schedule. I can imagine that he had very spacious quarters, that he had an upstairs suite of rooms in one of those great Babylonian buildings, in this the most fabulous city the world had ever seen, and he can open his windows, and they faced east, and he knew that 600 miles east of where he was, the ruins of the temple were still there. It was the ruined and destroyed city of Jerusalem. But three times a day there, at regular intervals, he would get down on his knees with the windows open, and there he would pray, and it was a regular habit. Now, every one of us can find a way of having a regular prayer habit. I've been reading about Rick Hamlin, who is the executive editor of Guidepost magazine. His regular time of prayer every day is on the subway. He says that he has a long commute every morning in New York City. So he gets on the A train, takes his seat, and pulls out, he says, an old Gideon Bible that's been all taped up and repaired. He reads the scripture, and then he closes his eyes, and he begins to pray. He knows all of the stops and how long it is between each one, and that guides the section of his prayers. He said, the rumble of the train on the tracks is the perfect background for my prayers. It is my call to worship. Well, I'm not sure how that particular plan would work for me, but it works for him. He can pray for the entire world and over all of his needs between his home and his office as the subway cars jostle and rumble beneath the Big Apple. I read about another man who wrote a letter to his sons explaining to them how he had learned to pray. He said, in essence, I've never known how to use fancy language, but every morning after I've showered and dressed, I kneel down and I just talk to the Lord out loud. First, I tell him all of the things that I can think, uh, think of that I'm grateful for, and then I pray for things that I'm concerned about. He said, it's not a very fancy type of talking that I do. It's just talking to the Lord, but it's very habitual, and it helps me start every day in God's presence and with His blessings. I read about another woman who has a comfortable chair in the corner of her bedroom beside a small table, and in the drawer, she keeps all of her prayer supplies, a Bible, a fountain pen, a devotional, book of scripture readings, a list of prayer items, and she rises early every morning, and there she meets the Lord in that spot. One missionary said that he had a patch of woods near his home, and every day without fail, he takes a prayer walk, and as he walks, he prays out loud as if the Lord were just walking beside him, which he is. So you can do this. You need to do it. There's many different ways of doing it, but find a way to establish regular prayer habits in your life. Regular prayer brings habitual strength. But sometimes we need more than regular prayer. We need rigorous prayer. And that brings us to Daniel chapter 9 and to one of the most rigorous and intense prayers in the Bible. Now let's begin reading again in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, 
I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, not only was Daniel a prayer warrior, he was a student of the scriptures, including the writings of his childhood preacher, the great prophet Jeremiah. In two different places, in Jeremiah 25 and in chapter 29, the Lord promised to restore the city of Jerusalem 70 years after the Babylonian invasion. In fact, one of those letters, Jeremiah 29, or one of those chapters, I should say, Jeremiah 29, was actually a letter that Jeremiah wrote to Daniel and to all of the other exiles who had been carried off into Babylon. And in verses 10 and 11, Jeremiah told them, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Well, as Daniel spread out the parchments and the scrolls in that upstairs apartment where he studied the scriptures and he read those words from the prophet Jeremiah, they turned into neon lights in his heart. And this is what he prayed. And I'm just going to read this prayer for you, or if you're able to have your Bible with you, I'll read it with you. I don't want to make too much comment on it because this is so extraordinarily rigorous and intense and poignant and sacred, but we can learn so much about prayer in this, perhaps apart from our Lord's Prayer in Gethsemane or in John chapter 17, the deepest prayer in the Bible. So beginning with Daniel chapter 9 verse 2. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all of the people of the land. Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors, are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses 
the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster under the whole heaven. Nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disasters on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, Yahweh Jehovah our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, listen. Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because of your city and your people who bear your name. Now, this prayer is so intense and heartfelt, I hardly know how to exegete it. It just speaks for itself. And the point that I want to make is that sometimes regular prayer as wonderful as it is, is not enough. Sometimes there is a need, there is a crisis, there is an opportunity, there is a burden that calls for rigorous prayer, for wrestling in prayer, for prevailing in prayer. I'm not going to go through this prayer line by line, but notice three things. First, Daniel knows what God is like. He refers to him as great and awesome and righteous and merciful and forgiving. Second, he knows how to confess his sins and those of the nation. He was a student of the Mosaic law. He knows what the law predicted to those who disobey God. And thirdly, he knows how to claim the promises of God in Scripture, not only for forgiveness, but for restoration. And he does it with tremendous rigor. As I've studied this chapter, I can tell you I've been personally convicted about this. It's been a little while since I've prayed with anything like this kind of intensity. I've prayed regular prayers. But every biblical hero had moments in their lives when they turned aside to intense times of prayer. Hannah prayed this way in 1 Samuel chapter 1, overwhelmed with her family and with her personal distress. 
Hezekiah prayed like this when the Assyrians were surrounding his city and threatening every one of his subjects. Jonah prayed like this when he had been swallowed by the whale. And Jesus prayed like this in the Garden of Gethsemane. As I prepared this message, I read a book by Anne Graham Lutz called The Daniel Prayer. And it's based upon this chapter and upon this very prayer. And she told of some of the times in her own life when she was driven to pray with this kind of intense and earnest fervency. When she struggled with infertility. When she sat in the hospital chapel with a dear friend whose husband was about to be taken off of life support. When she heard her son and his wife in a heated argument that signaled the beginning of the ending of their marriage. When she returned home and found the door broken down and the entire house ransacked. When she discovered her husband unresponsive in the swimming pool. All of these times brought on seasons of deep and rigorous praying, and I thought back to times in my own life when I've had to pray as though my life depended on it, earnest and agonizing and insistent prayers. Well, Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 certainly got God's attention. And so now I want to show you two different kinds of answers. There are two different kinds of prayers, regular praying and rigorous praying, and there are two kinds of answers, immediate answers and ultimate answers. Look at God's immediate answer in verse 20. Daniel said, while I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel The man I had seen in the earlier vision, the angel Gabriel, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed, therefore consider the word and understand the vision." What a wonderful thing this is. As soon as we begin to pray, a word goes out. Not even after we've finished our prayer, but as soon as we begin our rigorous times of intense prayer over special needs or burdens, a word goes out. I wish we could visualize this. Here you have a terrific burden. Here you have an overwhelming need. Here you have a sudden crisis. You cry out to God and you pray with great earnestness and intensity. Maybe you pray for a longer amount of time. Maybe you pray over a period of days or weeks or even months. But if only you could see into heaven, you would see Almighty God speaking a word and the word goes out. The moment you begin to pray, God sends out a word. It doesn't mean you should stop praying just that that kind of prayer gets the Lord's attention. Immediate answers. But notice something else. The answer is given immediately, but it unfolds ultimately. Gabriel comes with a message, which is the last part of Daniel chapter 9, and which is a prediction, a prophecy about the future. And this last part of chapter 9 of Daniel is the most crucial and critical paragraph of prophetic information in the Bible. You can study it on your own. 
I've studied this passage for many years. In essence, it contains the embryo of the rest of human history. In essence, it contains the whole story that takes us to Calvary, and then all the way from Calvary to the tribulation, and all the way through the tribulation, the first and second halves of it, to the second coming, and all the way to the millennium, and all the way to eternity. And the simple message that Daniel is given in response to his prayers, the answer comes immediately, but the answer is an ultimate answer that was going to unfold through the rest of human history and would serve as the basis for the remainder of biblical prophecies about the end time. So sometimes the answer to our prayers is given immediately, but it unfolds on its own schedule as we continue to wait and pray. And at any rate, it tells us that we must learn to pray whenever God calls us to Whenever there is a burden in our heart or a distress in our lives, then those regular prayers that we have day by day are simply the foundation upon which we build a rigorous prayer life in times of great need, exigency, or emergency. Earlier this week, I was with my friend Reese Kaufman, who is the president of Child Evangelism Fellowship. He's a very dear friend, and he's a man of prayer. Whenever we're together, he seems to want to talk about the power of prayer. Well, this week I had supper with him, and he told me of something that happened to him many years ago, and he's given me the permission to share it. Reese had a friend who was not a Christian believer. Reese had shared the gospel with him on a couple of occasions without any success, but he continued praying for him. And one evening, Reese said, as I drove home and pulled into the driveway, suddenly I was overwhelmed with a burden to pray for this friend. I can't explain it, but I sat there in the car and I prayed for him and I began to weep and to cry. And I'm not someone who cries very often. That isn't normal for me, and I can't really explain it. I, don't, I didn't know what was happening to me, but I felt so broken and concerned and burdened for my friend, and I just wept and prayed for him. And then after my prayer, I just composed myself and went on inside and had a normal evening. And 20 years went by. And then I got word that this particular friend was coming through town, and so I told him I wanted to see him. I thought I might have at least one more chance to bring up the gospel. And so I did so when I saw him, but he cut me off. He said, Reese, don't you know? I've become a Christian. Let's see. It's been a long time ago. I think it's been 20 years ago. And Reese was stunned at that. But his mind went back to that evening in front of the seat of his car when he had felt such an intense burden to pray for his friend 20 years before. Sometimes God just brings us to a place where we know the only thing we can do with the situation is to pray. Now, there is one final thing that I want you to notice. I don't have time to go into the prophecy that Gabriel gives, but notice in verse 21, Daniel said, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I'd seen in the earlier vision, really an angel, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. 
That would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. And down in verse 26, the prophecy includes the fact that the anointed one is going to come into Jerusalem and be cut off. At what time did Jesus, the Messiah, die? At what time was his life cut off? It was at three o'clock in the afternoon, at the time of the evening sacrifice. And it was his death that ripped the veil of the temple into two parts, giving us access into the presence of God and to the very power of prayer. So there are messianic, there are Jesus implications here. The answer came to Daniel at the very hour of the day when the sacrifice would have been slain had there still been altars standing in Jerusalem. And at the very time when 600 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ would be slain for the sins of the world in order to fulfill this prophecy and bring about the fulfillment of all of the prophecies given here in Daniel chapter 9 and provide for us eternal life. So if we're going to change the circumstances of our lives and of our world, we must learn how to pray regular prayers and we must learn how to pray rigorous prayers. We must do so in Jesus' name. And as we do so, the Lord knows how to answer he can give immediate answers, and he knows how to give ultimate answers. Everything depends in ways in which we can't even understand upon our taking advantage of the wonderful opportunity God gives to us to come into the sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls us from a world of care and bids us at our Father's throne make all our wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, our souls have often found relief and off escape the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Well, I hope that you have benefited from this study of the prayer of Daniel. I would recommend, if you want to study this more, that wonderful book that I referred to earlier by Anne Graham Lotz. She has written an entire book on this, and I read it with great interest and would say that it's worth reading. It's, uh, I had never read Anne Graham Lotz before, and I was impressed with this book, and it was helpful to me as I prepared this Bible study. And also, God works all things together for your good. My book on Romans 8:28, along with study guides and video curriculum, it's all at my website at robertjmorgan.com. Thank you for joining me today. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and his media company, Clearly Media. Music is by Elijah Rowe, who happens to be my grandson. And uh, all of the resources that we talk about are available at robertjmorgan.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back next week with another Bible study as we continue our study Unstoppable into the book of Acts. Until then, God be with you until we meet again.